There's this general understanding that rest is important, and yet so often we struggle to make room for rest. So we'll go through our lives busying ourselves, and meanwhile there's a restoration that needs to happen that goes missed. Now fortunately there's a God that knows us and loves us, and in order to make that restoration happen, he will either extend an invitation or invite us into a place of forced rest. Now, that can sound harsh and unfair, but what we'll hear in this episode is that it is actually profoundly loving. I was so encouraged when my friend Angela was open to sharing her story. Her story is encouraging to me for a number of reasons, among which is the fact that it was unfolding while I was recording the healing series. So as I released episode after episode on healing, I also followed the story of my friend who was seeking a healing of her own. And she'll share how God brought her to a place of forced rest. But what's interesting is the restoration that God was inviting her to wasn't the one that people assumed. In other words, sometimes the forced rest that God brings is actually meant to do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. You're listening to episode 154 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for long-term friendships. I thank you for the fact that Angela and I have been friends for decades now and (laughs) that you have connected us now in this time and space. And we just believe that there's something that you want to do. Right now, we just release everything to you, our words, our thoughts, anything that's on our mind. And we invite the Spirit just to guide this conversation because we know that you could do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. So we thank you in advance for how we believe you will work. We thank you for this time and just the gift that it, we believe it will be. I was praying in his holy name. Amen. Amen. So when I said we had been friends for decades, it <laughs> didn't click until after I said it. Anytime you start talking in terms of decades, that's a <laughs> that's a whole other ballgame. I know who you are, but for anybody that's listening, what would you want them to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Well, my name is Angela. I am an educator. I strive to be an inspirational leader. I've been a believer since I was, oh gosh, <laughs> talking about decades. <laughs> since I was about nine, I've made my profession of faith at the church and was baptized when I was 10. Mm. I have a husband I've been married to since 2005, and we have an eight-year-old son who was just baptized this past Sunday and very proud of my family. Mm. You know, you and I have known each other since college and we've stayed connected. But one thing that God brought about in my mind recently is as I was thinking about continuing this series, he reminded me that when I started the healing series, you actually had some things going on in your life that went alongside the healing series. So as I was recording all these conversations on people facing injuries or facing hardship or wanting healing, needing healing, I was seeing your story going along the way. So I'm excited to see where this conversation will go. And I'm excited just to talk to you because we used to have all kinds of conversations decades ago. Yes, we did. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about what God's been doing over the last couple of years, particularly, because I know that that's been a big part of your journey and who you are today and how you understand God. Absolutely. First of all, I love that you are inviting transparent conversation in an authentic space. I love that. When I think about the last couple of years and what God has done in my life and what I have had a misfortune or opportunity Mm -hmm. to experience, sometimes it's overwhelming, but not necessarily in a negative way. When I think about healing, 
it was September 3rd, 2021, the weekend of Labor Day, I fell at home and broke both of my bones in my left leg at the ankle. I shattered my left ankle into 12 pieces Mm. and severed the ligaments and tendons that connected my foot to my leg. And it was a nightmare. My house was not wheelchair accessible. It's a very small house. You know, my son and I had to move in with my parents for about three and a half months. It was just unreal how that totally affected everything that I was able to do. Work was on hold. Church was on hold. Everything was on hold. And I had never, with the exception of COVID, (laughs) things being forced to be put on hold, I had never experienced that on a personal level. Yeah. But what's so interesting is that when I think about healing and God and how he has healed me or how he's continuing to heal me, I don't think about that Mm. as tragic and kind of traumatic as that has been. I mean, I had major surgery, I had physical therapy for a year. I still have tons of physical pain. I have finally graduated into real shoes over Crocs, Mm -hmm. so that's a plus. But I don't think about that. I think about it in terms of mental and emotional healing. Yeah. When people talk about healing, I automatically go to my mental and emotional needs, not my leg or my ankle, which maybe sounds bizarre to some people because that seems more of a immediate and maybe relatable need. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of transparency, I have suffered from a major depressive disorder since college, mm-hmm. since college. The healing journey that has come or had to come over that issue has been long. I'm still not completely healed. And honestly, I don't know that I'll ever be completely healed. I mean, it's not that I don't trust God to heal me. Mm -hmm. It's just that, you know, I read an article one time from a book that was called The Anxious Christian. And one of the things the author asserted was that anxiety or anxiousness or depression, those were things to be grateful for Mm -hmm. because they kept him and keep him tethered to God. And as I think about transparency and authenticity, I mean, that's part of who I am is this deep need for peace. And that can only come from God. You know, I can't do any of that on my own. You know, some days I can't really even function on my own. So, you know, the fact that I am a successful professional and, you know, have a family and everything is mind blowing to me, knowing what I have been through emotionally Mm -hmm. and mentally and knowing how far I have come. I know that that's God. I know that. I have to rely on him on a daily, sometimes hourly basis because I can't make it that far. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like a leash with a dog at the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it makes me grateful for these circumstances, you know, kind of like Paul was about his thorn in the flesh, because like I said, and like the author said, it keeps me grounded. Yeah. Yes, I have had to experience the need for physical healing. I pray I don't have to endure anything like that ever again. Yeah. But with emotional illness or emotional needs or mental illness, however you want to put it, there's such a stigma around it, particularly in the church, mm-hmm. where people will say, and I have been told, <laughs> yeah. don't say anything to anybody. You don't want anybody to think you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Don't ask for prayer. Mm-hmm. You don't want anybody to think you have a problem. But really what you do need, <laughs> you do need prayer. You do need support. So as I think about my journey and everything that I have been through, and like I said, continue to go through, I pray that my story and what God has done and continues to do will impact someone else in a positive way that they will realize, hey, it's not just me. I'm not alone. Other Christians struggle with these same issues and thorns, if you will, and they rely on God and they are able to push through. Yeah. You know, it's a really interesting thing that you said. You know, when we think of this idea of somebody sitting and suffering, a lot of times our assumption is we will look for the most overt thing that they're going through. And then that's what we think needs to be fixed. We'll do that in our own lives. 
But the thing that you said was the healing that you saw God doing was actually emotional and mental, not necessarily the physical (laughs) that people would assume. Like that's the thing that you talk about is that emotional healing. And on the outside, people look at you and see, you know, your foot in a brace or, you know, walking with crutches or wheelchair or whatever it might be and think that's the thing. And so it's really intriguing to me that you were going through this severe physical injury and yet God was doing this totally different, unexpected healing. How do you think the injury of your foot actually positioned you to experience that other healing or even be open to that other healing? Be still and know that I am God. <laughs> I mean, when you literally cannot get up off the couch, <laughs> it forces you to think about a lot of things. And one of the things I thought about a lot was, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Mm-hmm. It pushed me into that thought process and that reflective process and that introspection to think, you know, I'm going to church, I'm in the choir, I'm doing all these things. And not that I question God or question the need to go to church, but I was like, okay, what is my calling here? How am I serving here? Am I doing, am I serving in the right ways? You know, all of those things. The job I was in at the time, I was like, man, I don't miss this a single day. So something has got to change about that. As a matter of fact, when I went back to that job, they shifted me into a different position because of a staffing shortage and and pushed me to apply for the job I'm in now, which is a truly tremendous blessing. Mm. So the effect of the physical injury mm-hmm. brought about the opportunity to be still because I go and go and go mentally and professionally and all the things. And so it cornered me. Mm-hmm. It made me sit down and be still and think which sometimes is not fun when you have to think about things and you have to reflect on things. And sometimes those are negative things or tragic things or traumatic things or triggering things. Mm -hmm. But it did me a lot of good as a person, as a mom, as a wife, as a daughter. I mean, in all the roles of my life, it helped me appreciate many things Mm -hmm. (laughs) like wearing shoes. You know, I've actually posted on Facebook the first time I put on two bedroom shoes. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing that. (laughs) One on each foot. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was an exciting moment. And so the things that I was taking for granted, you know, literally getting up without help or walking across the room without help, not using a cane, not using a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. The appreciation I learned to have for simple things is hard for me to even put into words, you know, just getting in and out of the car by myself or driving is I believe that as Romans 8.28 says, God will work all things together for the good. I notice it does not say that all things are good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I don't believe that God smote me and caused me to break my leg or punish mm-hmm. me in any sort of way. However, I do believe he used that for the good and is continuing to use that for the good as I still have miles to go on what I'm learning. I mean, the depth of learning has been crazy. Yeah. What's funny is... You know, you described two things that were incredibly powerful, being still and gratitude. Incredibly powerful. But what's funny is they're also incredibly simple and have always been accessible to us, right? We've always had the capacity to be still. We've always had the capacity to practice gratitude, and yet we often don't. And what's wild is what you've discovered, again, is how powerful they are. Like I think of even the gratitude. There are things that my kids will get so excited about because they're young and the world is new and it's the smallest thing, a box. Like they get so excited about a box. Meanwhile, our response as adults is, great, now I got to figure out what to do with this box. How am I going to get this out of the house, right? Exactly. And you see the joy on their face over small things and yet we as adults so often lack joy 
When meanwhile, there are all kinds of small things to be joyful about. And the be still piece, this idea that we all often struggle with this go, 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 or this has to get done, or I have to ruminate on this argument that happened or this thing that needs to happen. And meanwhile, God's like, I've actually equipped you (laughs) with the simple accessible tools you need to be content in any and every situation, to rejoice always. And so for you, God used your foot being broken as a way to help you to recognize and learn these things. I think you and most of us would not want to need something like that again. Right? No, I want to learn the lesson. <laughs> right? So what have you learned about how you can access rest, how you can access being still, how you can access gratitude? How have you learned how to do that so that you can move forward and implement it or others can take those skills and implement it without needing an injury <laughs> that limits you? Exactly, exactly. One of the things you said about you know, rumination and some other things made me come to a thought that I've had recently that I don't know if it's the geographical culture in which I was raised, the familial culture, the Protestant work ethic culture. I'm not sure, but you know, productivity has always been directly aligned to worth and value. Mm-hmm. The more you get done, <laughs> the more you check off your list, the better you are. Better mom, better student, better wife. That is directly aligned to your value as a woman. Now, when this happened, the fall, the break, Mm -hmm. I had to directly reprioritize and think about, okay, what makes me valuable in those roles? Mm -hmm. What makes me worthy and worthwhile and worth (laughs) whatever you want to put there Mm -hmm. in those roles? Because I could not function normally as getting my kid a glass of milk or anything like that. Evaluating my priorities was significant. I mean, I had to think, where can I literally expend my physical energy because I don't have much? So how do I divide it up? And being still, we shouldn't wait until something forces us to recognize the power of stillness and sitting with God. The major part of my master's degree from Campbell is in counseling. Ended up with a master of ed just through the transition of everything, which is fine. I mean, but I studied Christian counseling for almost 50 credit hours. And one of the things that was sort of revelatory to me was the idea of acknowledging a feeling, acknowledging and giving space to a feeling because you can't always help your feelings. Mm -hmm. And then focusing your energy on overcoming or moving on past the feeling, especially if it's negative. Well, this past weekend, I attended my church's parent conference with a well-known, nationally known child family counselor from Nashville, Tennessee. And one of the things he said, he didn't use the word acknowledge, he said honor. Mm. And I started thinking about the difference between acknowledging a feeling and honoring a feeling, especially if a child has a feeling like that, you know, of overwhelm or fear or anxiety or whatever. Typically, we'll just be like, oh, it's okay. This is nothing to be afraid of. It'll be okay. You're fine. I thought about the difference between what I usually say and think and honoring that. And so as I look at my own life (laughs) and being still, sometimes I do spend my energy ignoring, fighting, whatever feeling or fear it is, rather than honoring, hey, you know what? (laughs) I have a lot of fear around this issue. I mean, my husband is a law enforcement officer. I have a lot of fear for his safety if I'm just being transparent. You know, I worry about my son, all those things. And instead of spending my energy and saying, No, mm -mm, I don't have those feelings. Honoring them, giving them to God, admitting that I'm having trouble with that anxiety or with Mm -hmm. that fear or with that worry, with that anger, 
and being still allowing him to fill that space instead of the feeling. And so, you know, my hope and prayer is that I can recognize the signs of needing to be still, Mm -hmm. making it a habit and a practice, but also recognizing when rest is needed. You and I both know there's so much more to rest than sitting on the couch Mm -hmm. and scrolling on your phone on Facebook or sleeping. Rest is for the soul. Rest is for your personhood. Mm-hmm. It's establishing a reconnection with God or with your son or with your mm-hmm. husband or whomever. Your ability to rest sometimes is a skill mm-hmm. that you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And for me, that has definitely been true. I'm not a natural rester. So, you know, when God forces you to take a look at that, say, hey, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. you need to rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like I said, I hope and pray that I can continue to learn through this journey and not repeat (laughs) any mistakes that I made before, not repeat any negativity so that I can move forward. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really powerful about that idea of accepting where things are and then honoring where things are. And that accepting piece presses on what you noted was a reaction from people you interacted with that would say, oh, no, no, don't tell anybody that you're wrestling with this. Because in their mind, there is a perfect way that we can exist and we're striving for that. And those things are imperfect and bad. And so you want to avoid those. And so when we are praying, when we're seeking God, we're coming from that mindset of, God, you need to get rid of these bad things and make me perfect. (laughs) And meanwhile, what God's inviting us to is to just pause and be honest. Just be honest about where things are. I think we see that with the Apostle Paul when he says things like, I don't understand what I do because what I hate to do, I do. And what I want to do, I don't. That's a an awful thing for a pastor and a missionary to say on a functional level, right? Like, right. what about your credibility then if you're publicly saying in a letter that's going to go to everywhere, hey, I do stuff I shouldn't do and the stuff I should do, I don't. But what Paul knew is he needed to be honest about where he was, what was going on, his limitations, because it's only in that honesty that he can actually recognize what God might be doing, Mm -hmm. what God might be inviting him to. Mm -hmm. But then there's that honor piece, which you said earlier, you know, things like anxiety or depression, there may be ways that God is doing good through that, right? There's ways that God has built and equipped us that allow us to see the world in certain ways or experience the world in certain ways. And when we honor where we are, we might actually be honoring something intentional that God has done or allowed because he's trying to do something beyond us having a perfect life. You know, somebody might hear that, right? And say, well, that's nice for you, but you don't know what I'm going through. Like you don't know what I'm struggling with. And I just see no way of accepting or honoring those things. How could somebody be encouraged into a simple step forward into that? That's really the question, isn't it? Suffering looks different in different circumstances and for different people. I mean, something that you may consider a thorn in the flesh or that you may consider, man, you know, that hit me really hard. Someone else may say, oh, you know, I went through that. It was, you know, it's okay. Something that knocks somebody totally down. Somebody else may find an opportunity to learn something new. And so what I would say is, first of all, don't feel like your problems or your issues or your feelings or what you consider suffering is any less than what anyone else is going through. You know, I think there's so many times that people mean well, but they'll say, well, at least (laughs) you don't have cancer or at least you're not going through what somebody else is going through or, you know, what she has in her house. That doesn't honor the feelings of the person. In fact, that sort of dishonors their feelings. It dismisses them. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you should compare yourself to others and realize that you have it better. So I think it's a little ironic that we spend so much time as women unlearning 
comparisons. And then when a struggle happens, we're told, well, you should count yourself lucky that you're not going through what she's going through. It's so contradictory. But what I usually say to people when I talk about my mental health struggles is, you know, the things I've already said in that it's a mindset shift. It's a huge mindset shift that I don't credit myself with evolving into. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been praying a lot lately about sharing and whether or not I should share. And, you know, because it makes people uncomfortable in the church. You know, if I stood up and said I had lupus, people would, oh my gosh, let me pray for you, you know, laying their hands on you and stuff like that. Oh, I have my next chemotherapy appointment coming up. Please pray for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we got you. Blah, blah, blah. If I stand up and say, what, you know, I've been suicidal. Mm -hmm. They're like, whoa, um, have you been to a counselor? I don't know how to handle that. I'm not equipped to deal with that when really the same response should be, well, let me pray for you. Right. One of the main reasons for sharing your story and what God is doing in your life is to encourage others, like you said. And so my encouragement is even when things are not good, and sometimes that's often, sometimes it just feels like you cannot stand back up, like you're in the ocean and the waves just keep coming and you can't stand up because it's wave after wave after wave. But you know, scripture promises us that God is with us. Scripture promises us that God will bring good from these situations. Mm-hmm. May not be immediate, may not be on the side of heaven, but I do believe that there will come a time when we will have the opportunity to help or encourage someone else because of what we have been through. Yeah maybe 50 years from now, Mm -hmm. but God is a connector of dots Mm -hmm. and he reveals in his own perfect timing, the things that are meant to be revealed when they're meant to be revealed. I always like to point out the fact too, that in an encouraging way, that when we wait for the doctor to come in or to call us back for our appointment, we're on our phone, we're Googling symptoms, you know, we're looking up ways to tell your doctor about this, um, questions to ask, you know, questionnaires, am I this, am I that, do I have this, do I have that? Waiting on anything has become a time of furious activity. You know, I'm waiting on my food from DoorDash. So I'm on my phone, you know, on Facebook, whatever. But when we wait on God, we get really impatient. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not doing anything. We're not reading the Bible. We're not worshiping. We're not reaching out to others or in service. We're only worried about, well, when are you coming, God? Mm -hmm. When are you going to show up? And so I often encourage others by saying, you know, I'm not perfect at that. I'm not perfect at anything. But I try to remember that waiting is active. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting on something. That's a verb. That's an action. And it comes with a lot of, there's a lot of things to do. And when I take the focus off of me Mm -hmm. and that negative perception, perspective, mindset, framework for living and put it on worship always, thanking God for the problem, which is hard, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so hard. Because when you're laying on the bathroom floor and you're crying and you're thinking, I'm in such a deep hole, is this the way that my life is going to be? Am I never going to get out of this? What if I never get out of this hole? But God, instead of telling us how to get out of the hole, he's in there with us. I mean, he was in the fiery furnace. He makes a new way where there seems to be no way. And so sometimes that means somebody throws a rope down because they were influenced and inspired by the word of God and they throw the rope down and help you climb up. Sometimes that's somebody coming alongside you and sitting in the hole and saying, okay, now what can we do? And so for as somebody who understands depression at its deepest and darkest level, I try to get down in the hole. (laughs) I try not to tell people how to climb out. 
I try not to just throw a rope down and say, oh, well, they'll come out when they're ready. Mm-hmm. The power of sitting next to someone in their darkest and worst moments and just coming alongside them in prayer and friendship goes a long way. There are a lot of people who feel isolated, a lot of people who feel the power of depression, and it is a powerful entity mm-hmm. in my life and in the lives of many others. But the other thing I would encourage people to do is to reach out to those you know who are going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. Be the encourager. Be the coordinator of outreach. Don't wait for somebody to reach out to you. That's one way you can serve. And you can say, you know what? I'm going to be transparent. I feel that fear on a very deep level and I understand. I'm happy to talk about it with you or let's go get coffee or let's do this. It takes the mindset and the perception and the perspective off of you and what's not going right Mm -hmm. and helps you serve someone else in that capacity that maybe you need. But you're giving that to someone else. And in the process, you will see God working through you and in you. You know, ultimately, what you're talking about is what Scripture is very emphatic about throughout Scripture is we're called to love God and love others. And so the waiting, the be still, the showing the gratitude, those are ways to actively love God. Yet we often make excuses not to do that. And what you just described are ways to love others. It's being with people where they are. Because, yeah, our tendency is to want to get people out of the struggle, out of the hardship, whether it's because we love them or we just think struggle is bad and it's not even really about them. You know, both of us have experienced and a lot of people listening experienced sometimes the struggle isn't a quick fix. Sometimes the struggle doesn't go away immediately. And so, if the struggle can't be eliminated, but that's what the person's trying to do, then suddenly you're at an impasse. It's like, I'm sorry, I, I can't leave the pit. <laughs> you're telling me to leave the pit, but I can't. While you were talking, a verse came to my mind that, you know, you're on the floor and you're like, is this what my life is going to be? Yes. And you're thinking this is awful and I don't want it to be this way. And we will say that God is with us. We'll say that God is always present which means that God is present with you on that floor. (laughs) And so the invitation that we're getting is to be with God wherever we are. Mm. And it made me think of the verse that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Absolutely. And what if God's setting his court up in the pit, right? But meanwhile, we're sitting there saying, I want to go to that other place. Mm -hmm. And God's like, no, no, no. You could have a thousand days there at that best place that you could think of where you're totally healthy and totally happy and you're not having any depressive thoughts. You're feeling great. Life is amazing. You can have a thousand days there or you could have one day in my courts in this pit and that would be better than those thousands, right? Mm. That's what God's trying to communicate to us that being in his presence is immensely better than any out of the pit scenario we can come up with. But it's hard for us to trust that. It is. Because we know how pain feels. We know how rejection feels. We know how loss feels. We don't like how it feels. And so we just want to be away from it. And maybe our invitation is to get better at knowing what the opposite of that feels like, what contentment in all situations feels like, what gratitude feels like, what joy feels like. The more that we learn how those things feel and those things aren't contingent on our circumstances, right? maybe we'll be less ruled by the negative feelings, right? Absolutely. But I think it goes back to what you were saying. You haven't arrived. Mm-hmm. There's still a journey ahead. So part of what you're communicating is you've learned these simple tools that God has given you. Be still rest, practice gratitude, be mindful of how we're thinking, these simple things that everybody can do right now. And you've decided, and now 
I'm going to keep on doing these right. and I'm going to mess up sometimes. And then I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to keep on going. And sometimes I'm going to get better and better at this other thing. And I'm going to keep on going and keep on going while I'm still in this broken human body right, in this broken <laughs> world. That's what we're all being invited to is God has given us right now, simple, accessible ways to thrive, not just survive, but to thrive in him. Yes. Not in our situation, not, oh, like now I've got a million dollars, but to know what it means to be content, to know what it means to rejoice. And he's done that. Yes. What would you say was one of the moments in the midst of maybe the hardest parts of this years of suffering through the injury and working through the emotional and mental healing that God was doing? What would you say was one of the moments that you were just in awe of God because he just showed up in an unexpected way? You know, I have been a member of a church for as long as I can remember. But then I guess this will be five years ago this summer. My parents, my husband, my son, and I all moved to Snyder Memorial Baptist Church. It's a huge church. Mm -hmm. I mean, huge. But when I tell you that they showed up for me when I was injured, mm -hmm. we had food for weeks. There was a meal train from the choir. There was a meal train from a group called Moms Next, which is the group after Mops that I'm a member of. And interestingly enough, I pay the dues for our Moms Next and I'm never able to go to their meetings because they're during the day and I work from eight to five, Monday through Friday. And most of the women who came literally drove all the way out to my parents' house, which is many miles from the city, and brought food that they had either bought or in most cases they had made themselves. And I had never laid eyes on any of them. Mm. Didn't know their names, weren't friends with them on Facebook. I mean, I am now because I met them, but I never expected people to respond like that because to be honest, it really made me stop and question and think, you know, God did all that, obviously. But I had to stop and ask myself in this time of reflection, why would I not think that people care about me enough to do that? Like, what does that mean? Like, why would I automatically think, well, I'm going to donate to their meal train, but nobody would ever donate to mine. Mm -hmm. And it was going back to that time of, well, then what's my value and where does my value come from? When I realized that, that one, God had led all of these people to do these amazing things for me and my family and to care and just stop what they were doing and, you know, make homemade blueberry bread and bring it all the way out there in the country. Mm -hmm. And people donated leave to me from the school system. I mean, I never expected, you know, my former assistant principal to donate five days of leave to me. I mean, that's the most you can donate. That's quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at what God did. And then God revealed to me, like I said, well, you know, your worth doesn't really lie in your productivity or what you're able to do. Mm -hmm. It's not really about your deeds or your works. And even as I'm saying this now, it's a little overwhelming to realize, as I've always known, sola gratia, you know, it's, <laughs> it's by his grace and his mercy and his death and resurrection. It's not anything I do. So that was a powerful, powerful reminder mm -hmm. And maybe a lesson that I hadn't truly ever learned. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, again, in this moment, I'm kind of like, wow, hadn't thought about that in a while. So of all the lessons that I've learned in my life, God loves me because he loves me, <laughs> not because I checked off everything off my list today. Yeah. That's a powerful realization, I think, for any person. And so with all those people doing all those kind things who didn't even know me <laughs> and I didn't know them. It impacted me in a way to think, yeah, I didn't deserve that, you know, on an individual level. I don't deserve the salvation of Christ. I don't deserve any of those things on an individual level. But God chose the sacrifice and through his mercy and grace, we have value. Yeah. 
So when it comes to depression, anxiety and everything like that, and a lot of times, like you said, that's rooted in lack of contentment or discontent or whatever. And sometimes it's circumstantial and sometimes it's just the way that it is. You know, when you have an illness, it permeates you. But choosing to serve, you know, a lot of these things are choices. You know, we can't sit around and wait for the feeling of God to just inspire us to, you know, get up and call someone. And sometimes it does happen that way, but God gives us the ability and empowers us to make choices that impact others. And so God showed up for me in those people from the church and from Mom's Next and taught me that my value is in Him (laughs) and not in how well I make a casserole. Yeah, yeah. Well, and here's what's wild is it takes us back to what you said at the start about how when you think back to those difficult years, what you think about is not necessarily the physical healing, but the emotional and the spiritual healing. And when that church member made that blueberry bread, in their mind, it was for your physical healing. So you could rest and your foot could recuperate. They had no idea that the act of them making that bread was being used to bring spiritual and emotional healing. Mm. Like they had no idea the power of that small act. You know, your invitation here of just sit with people, if you understand their struggle, just sit with them or just serve others. I think we underestimate what God can do through that because what you've just described, like you could have talked about so many different things, but that was what you chose because of how powerful it was. And I can guarantee there is probably people who brought stuff or gave time that didn't really think much of it afterwards. Right. Like They're like, oh, this is a nice thing to do. But they did it because they were like, I want to show love in this way. They had no idea the power of that small thing, that seed that they planted. They don't even know the tree that you just described, right? Absolutely. And they don't necessarily have to. Like We don't have to know the full impact. But when we know that even our smallest acts of love carry power, oh man, like that can inspire us to just go out and love, 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 love yes. beyond what we normally would have done if it was just based on what's going to be fruitful or productive. Right. I just sent an email today to a friend who I'm hoping he and I can have a conversation around this idea of community because community has come up in many of the past episodes, but it's usually from the standpoint of when you're in a hard place, like seek out community and it'll help you get through, which is true. Mm-hmm. But I want to hit on this other element of How can we live into community and actually step into the spaces of suffering like Jesus did? Mm. Because what you've described is that, that when people did that in even small ways, it was powerful for you. And so I'm glad you shared that because I just think it's really important. And you and I could keep on talking easily, (laughs) but, you know, let's say somebody's listening right now that is in a similar place of suffering that you had to navigate and maybe there's physical pain. Maybe God's taken them through an emotional healing. If you could say something to them now, what would you want to say? There's so many cliche things, Mm -hmm. you know, that come up, but ultimately I think we need to remember to apply what we would do in other parts of our life to what God is doing at that moment. And what I mean by that is if a child was learning how to read, and we got frustrated and just kept telling them the word over and over again. They would never learn how to read. Mm-hmm. They were doing math and we're just like, gosh, you know, the answer's four, mm-hmm. the answer's six. We would not think that that person was a very good teacher. They weren't teaching the student how to think. They weren't teaching the student how to critically solve problems just to get the answer. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation that you and I have had around, you know, climbing down into the pit choosing to serve while we're in the pit, recognizing that there may be a lesson to be learned in that pit. Don't give up. Mm -hmm. Just remember that God is in there. There's something that will come of that situation that will bring glory to him and impact you and others in ways that perhaps 
you cannot even imagine or think of at the moment. Mm-hmm. You're not alone. <laughs> there are other people that are in deep holes all over the place for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. If you pray for God to reveal and provide you with a companion, someone who can support you, maybe someone or something that you never even thought about. So hang in there. Keep reading the scripture. Keep serving, keep going to church, keep doing all the things that you would normally do if you weren't in the hole and sit still and wait for God spiritually, wait for God to reveal himself and he will. Yeah, that's good. As we close out, is there anything that God's putting in your heart that you feel led to share? I wrote a poem a couple of weeks ago called The Hallway. Mm. And basically the gist of it is this person going down the hallway, they got a key in their hand and they know what door they're going to. And they know that behind that door is everything that God has promised them, everything that they need to live and to thrive and all those things. And I will just read you one snippet of it because I just really feel like everybody I've shared it with has been helped. So they look down and they see this key because the door is not open. So they're banging on the door and banging on the door. They are falling apart now and blaming God because their key doesn't work. In my haste to depart, I had misread. The number I was so sure before was not 409, but 904. I was rendered speechless. I had been ready to quit, and I had blamed God for all of it. So rising with faith, I continued my journey, and blessed with the ability now to discern, I reached 904 and watched the knob turn. I bowed my head. I lifted my hands. I thanked God for His grace as tears ran down my face. I almost missed out on His gift for my life, the perfect connection, the perfect direction. I shall remember this day forevermore. I had the right key but it wasn't my door. And the lesson from this is don't blame God when you fall, when the door doesn't open, praise him in the hall. And so I would just, again, say to anybody who their key is not working, they're in the pit, they've fallen down a hole, they're in the fiery furnace. God is with you. Do all the things that you would normally do if you weren't in that hole, the praising, the worshiping, the singing, the serving, and God will come through. This idea of forced rest is a difficult one for us because we don't like to be forced to do anything. So I found myself processing through where in scripture do we see examples of this, where God forced someone to rest. And honestly, I think there are many, but where I found myself landing was David. Now David is talked about as a man after God's own heart. And early on, he is given a prophetic call that he will lead God's people. Yet between his young efforts to seek God and his later moments of being King David, there were seasons of forced rest, particularly when David found himself on the run from King Saul, hiding in caves because he had been threatened with death. And what scripture shows us is those moments of forced rest led to a profound deepening of David's spiritual maturity. And there are so many Psalms that I could choose to read from right now to show this, but what I was brought to was Psalm 23, and one line in particular. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The key line is, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And I'm thinking, if he's making him lie down, that's forced rest. But of course, I'm reading the English translation, and I don't want to assume just because it uses the word makes, it means that God was forcing. 
So I started looking into the Hebrew, and I came across this homily delivered by Reverend Rhonda J. Rubinson of the Church of Intercession in New York City. I don't know anything about Reverend Rubinson or this church, but I do appreciate the definition of that word broken down in this part of the homily. But out of the whole psalm, just a handful of words carry a very powerful message, particularly for those among us who can find no redeeming value in the sorrow and challenges of our time. Those few words are the first half of the second verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Or in the King James, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The Hebrew here can tell us a great deal. The he and he makes me lie down clearly is God, El in Hebrew. But then follows a single word that we use four words to translate into English. Maketh me lie down is Yarbetsini, one word in Hebrew. Yarbetsini has a subtle double meaning. The first is that of an event, an occurrence, something that happened makes me lie down. The other meaning has to do with being compelled, without a choice in the matter, to rest. So we can translate this a little differently. God compels me to rest through circumstances beyond my control. We see this idea, this Yarbetsini, happening for Angela. She was going about her life, seeking to the best of her ability to love God and love others, and then circumstances beyond her control forces her to lie down. And what she discovered in the midst of that forced rest is that God had a restoration, a healing, in store that she didn't even know that she needed. While others were focused on her broken foot, she began to see a healing in her understanding of herself, of her value, of her purpose. It was in that forced rest that God changed her trajectory from what she assumed it should be to the abundantly more he had for her. And it was a hard space. Among the physical pain, the disruptions, the unknowns, that forced rest could feel like too much. And yet the more that Angela trusted God in the midst, the more she could see his love and power there as well. When David wrote this, he wrote it knowing what it meant to be a shepherd leading sheep. As a shepherd, he knew what the sheep needed. He knew where they needed to go. And yet he also knew that the sheep thought they knew too. The sheep might not be aware of what they actually need. And as a good shepherd, he would not just lead them, but sometimes make them lie down. Ultimately, he loved the sheep too deeply to do otherwise. And God loves you too. If you're finding yourself in a season of forced rest, it could be that God, who is the good shepherd for us, is lovingly inviting you into a restoration that you might not even know you need. And the beautiful piece of all of this is that the shepherd stays with the sheep. When David made his sheep lie down, he would lie down with them. And when God brings us to a space of forced rest, he is there with us as well. It can be hard when life stops, when hardship hits, and it seems like we can't get away from this new difficult reality. But what if we practice trusting that God the Good Shepherd loves us and knows what he's doing? What if we practice saying, God, I don't like this, but I want to grow in trusting what you might be doing in this space of forced rest? Because even amidst the difficulties, Angela now sees that that time of forced rest, although difficult in many ways, brought her closer to God and closer to an authentic understanding of who he made her to be. And that same opportunity could be before you as well. So if you feel like God is bringing you to a space of forced rest, embrace the rest. Lie down in the green pastures and ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? 
Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what Revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal Revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what Revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free. Get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?